What's up, Russell? Getting another one? Done a hole. Good morning. Welcome to worship. It's good to see you. Um, before we get started, let me go through a few announcements. And the first is that uh, tonight at our worship service, we're welcoming a friend of mine. He is uh, Pastor Scott Miller, and he is uh, going to be preaching for us this evening. He is one of the assistant pastors at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson. Uh, I'm really excited to have him here tonight. So if you're able to come tonight, um, you would be blessed by hearing his message. Uh, secondly, you'll see in the bulletin in italics, it says the session met Monday, January 9th and granted emeritus status to Dr. Glenn Peters and Charlie McCool. I want to explain that announcement in a little bit more detail. Um, I looked this up this morning, and in Latin, emeritus was used traditionally to describe a soldier who had completed his duty. That word was used, uh, taken up again in like the 17th century or so for uh, those working in different professional roles. When they retired, they would keep the honorary title of what they were doing when they retired. Um, let me read this section from the Book of Church Order, which is what our church uses to kind of guide the government of our church. This might sound boring, but I think it will be helpful to you to understand what it is that our church leaders are doing and what happens when they retire from their position. It says this, When a deacon or ruling elder by reason of age or infirmity desires to be released from the active duties of the office, he may at his request and with the approval of the session be designated deacon or elder emeritus. When so designated, he is no longer required to perform the regular duties of his office but may continue to perform certain of these duties on a voluntary basis, if requested by the session or a higher court. He may attend diaconate or session meetings if he so desires and may participate fully in the discussion of any issues, but may not vote. Uh, we are uh, grateful for the service of Dr. Peters uh, and Charlie to their service for, to our church, uh, to all of you, to me. Um, so if you see them, um, you can thank them. 
Uh, you can pray for them, encourage them as they go into this next uh, season of ministry in our church and in their own lives. Um, so we're just mentioning that this morning and letting you know. Um, and if you're uh, part of their shepherding group, we'll give you information on that in the coming weeks. So if you have any questions about this, you can talk to Dr. Peters or Charlie, and they'll be glad to answer them, or you can talk to me or another elder. Okay, next, uh, the WIC Council meeting is today at 4.30 in the church library right there. If you're part of that, please be there. The youth are meeting tonight at 7 p.m. in the home of Will and Sarah Hill, and the ladies' Bible study group is meeting tomorrow at 11 a.m. in the choir room, and that's open to any ladies who would, be, who would like to go. Jesus Christ has brought us here by the power of his Spirit, uh, whether you know it or not, and he has brought us here to worship him. So would you take a few moments uh, to ask God to help you worship him this morning, to take a deep breath, and to prepare to worship the God of the universe? Let's do that now. Please stand for the call to worship. It comes from Psalms 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. 
and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. <clears throat> Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Please remain standing as we sing All People That On Earth Do Dwell, hymn number one. Dear Lord, we call out to you this morning with joyful noise. Attend our worship. Meet with us through your Holy Spirit. Stir our hearts for worship. You alone are worthy of all worship and praise, and we are blessed because of your call to us. Hear us now as we pray back the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. It is not in temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We continue now with our confession of faith. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty. Make our
The Apostles' Creed starts off with this line, I believe, in God the Father Almighty. And I want to focus on that word Almighty. Almighty means all-powerful. It means God is sovereign over all things. But, as I was reading from J.I. Packer talking about this confession, he says this does not mean that God can literally do anything. God can literally not do everything. He can't do what is self-contradictory or doesn't make sense. He cannot act out of his character. Now, this is important because, as Packer goes on to say, God has a perfect moral character. He can't be unloving. He can't be random, unjust, inconsistent, He cannot pardon sin without atonement or it wouldn't be just. It wouldn't be right. He cannot fail to be faithful and just in forgiving sins that are confessed in faith and in keeping all of his promises that he has made to his people. All that God intends to do, he does. This is all part of what we say, what it means when we say God, the Father Almighty. A morally perfect and good God is in control of your life, of the whole world, of all of history, and that is good. So we're going to take time, just a moment, in quiet individual prayer to go before our God, who is the God Almighty who is our almighty God, who can do far more than we can ask or imagine. And he loves you. So as we come near to him, you can expect that God hears you, that he loves you, that he will forgive your sin, and that he loves to be with you and be near you. Uh, Let's go to God in a time of quiet and individual prayer, and then I'll lead us in a corporate prayer. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are our sovereign protector, as the hymn goes, unseen yet forever at hand, unchangeably faithful to save, almighty to rule and command, and if thou art my shield and my sun, the night is no darkness to me, and fast as my moments roll on, they bring me but nearer to thee. This is the good news which we received by your hands, Lord Jesus, and we thank you and we worship you. What a joy it is to reflect on your almighty power, God, in your perfect intentions and will. You desire to save the unsavable, to revive the dead in heart to new life, and to walk with your people through the good and the bad all of which is given to us according to your perfect will. Father, you've 
blessed the world with churches like ours who celebrate the gospel of your son Jesus. You've blessed this church in particular with men who serve as elders, and we thank you for Glenn and Charlie for their many years of faithfully serving your church. They would be the first to tell us that they are flawed sinners, just like ourselves, but in their weaknesses and flaws, they humbly followed your call to shepherd the flock. We pray that you would bless them in this next phase of service to your church. Lord, we think about the students in this church who are preparing to resume their studies in college and in technical schools and in other places over the coming weeks. We pray that you would be with them and encourage them, that you would give them wise instructors, that you might bless them with a mentor to help them grow and discover their gifts, and friends who would build them up and walk with them through this season of life, faithfully pointing them to you. Lord, we are in prayer for the safe return of the missing Louisville High School student, a ninth grader whose name is, I believe it's Montavius Goss. Lord, you know his name. Uh, We pray that you would protect him, that you would bring him home safely, and that you would do these things today. Lord, be with his family, be with his friends. Comfort them, point them to yourself. God, we are thankful for your word and the gift that it is, and we pray that you would help us to receive your word humbly this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us and that we would see that work and be encouraged by it. God, would you bless this worship service? Would you bless us, Father, Son, and Spirit? And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we'll take up our tithes and offerings. And as God has blessed us, as he has shown us his grace, we respond to that grace uh, in one way, which is giving of our money to his church. He calls us to be faithful in this regard. And so as you are able, uh, we invite you to give to his church now.
Please pray with me. God, we give you our money in response to your grace. We give you our money in faith and in trust that you will do far more than we can imagine with it. Uh, We give uh, from hearts that are twisted by sin, and yet, God, you can do incredible things even in people like us. So would you continue to give us hearts that are growing in a desire to give to your kingdom work? Uh, Would you uh, bless it, and would you multiply it for your work? We thank you for giving us an opportunity to give to you in such a um, physical way, in a way that often uh, sometimes hurts um, and is not easy to do, and yet you call us to be faithful in this. We thank you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll sing hymn number 175, A Wonderful Savior is Jesus My Lord. Let's continue worshiping with hymn 175.
You may be seated. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1, is where we'll be this morning. And for the next three weeks, we'll pick up in Mark where we left off in 2022. And the last thing we looked at in Mark was Jesus bringing a great calm to a great storm. And this morning, we'll find a storm, not in the weather, but inside of a man. And the great calm that Jesus brings when he restores him. Let's read God's word together. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you would please join me in a moment of prayer. God, this is a challenging passage. Um, It is a terrifying story. Would you please... Um, cause us to hear what we need to hear this morning, and uh, we pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the third exorcism in the Gospel of Mark. We're only in chapter 5 of Mark, and uh, this is 
by far one of the most terrifying stories, I think, in all of the Gospels. It's very detailed, and Mark, who is known for his concise descriptions, takes time to describe this scene and these events in great detail. We see, on the one hand, the true depths of spiritual oppression, how far spiritual forces can take a person. We're going to look at three things as we go through this passage. We're going to look at the, the depths of spiritual oppression. We're going to look at our spiritual opposition. And then we're going to see our Lord and Redeemer. So let's look at number one, the depths of spiritual oppression. In college, I was able to participate in a, what they called a Europe semester, a semester in Europe. And I got to travel to 15 different countries, including Israel. They just attached Israel onto Europe. Um, it was great. Uh, my classes were World War II history, theater, architecture, and Bible geography. It was one of the best four-month stretches of my life, and I learned so much. But theater is not one of my favorite things. I love movies, I love TV shows, but I don't love going to plays. And, but I can appreciate it. Uh, we went to a ton of different theater productions across Europe. And one that stuck in my memory was called Dorian Gray. And some of you may have read this story. It's from Oscar Wilde, I believe. Uh, it's a dark, gothic story. It's very dark, um, very disturbing. And I don't remember most of the scenes of the play, but I can rem remember how I felt during the play. I can remember how I felt. When I watched this man on stage portray the story of someone selling their soul to the devil and going deeper and deeper into a life focused on pleasure alone, this man becomes more and more evil, more and more self-centered, more and more deceived and deceptive. And this was a great example of why I don't like going to plays. Because in a movie, if a movie aims to disturb you, it's just on your TV screen or you're just in a theater. But when you see real people acted out, it connects with you in a very real way. Even though it's, of course, not real. So I just wanted to get out of there. Uh, the people that enjoy theater were probably really enjoying it somehow. And that picture, that portrait, stuck with me all these years. It's one of the only plays that I can really remember from that time, which was, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago for me. Um, the portrait of the demon-possessed man in this passage reminded me of that story. This passage is disturbing, and it makes us uncomfortable. And when we read this chapter, we try to ease our discomfort by thinking things like, that happened then, it doesn't really happen now, and it definitely won't happen to me. So I can read this, and I can categorize it as one of those interesting Bible stories, and move on. 
But there's more to this story that applies to you and me than just being an interesting story or a portrait of Jesus' love and redeeming power. There's more to it than that. And I want us to see how we are more than just... Uh, I tried to rephrase this with Elizabeth this morning. We have more opposed to us than just ourselves. The saying that is, you're your, you are your own worst enemy. That is true. It's also true that there is even more opposed to you and me than just our own sinful hearts. There is a spiritual component to this life. Spiritual oppression can come to us and encourage and affect different things in our lives, whether it be minor and major addictions, alcoholism, temptations big and small. For many people, it's TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, smartphone use, whatever it might be, we can come up with the things that we do habitually that we might probably not want to be doing. I believe there are spiritual forces at work encouraging these things in our lives. God tells us there is more at work in this world and with us than just our own hearts, than just our own responsibility. There is more going on. And it's not just us. Uh, Many critics like to approach this story in Mark, and they like to say that the people in the New Testament didn't know the difference between physical sickness and spiritual oppression, or that they linked the two every time. But that's not the case. When you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus and his apostles and disciples, they differentiated between the two categories. They didn't say all sickness was demonic oppression. They didn't say all demonic oppression was uh, sickness. Sickness has its roots in sin. It may be influenced by demonic forces, but Jesus and the disciples knew when there is a need for physical healing, and they knew when there was a need for spiritual healing and help. We know the story of when the paralytic was lowered through the roof. Jesus forgives the sin of the man who is paralyzed first, and then he heals him. He heals his whole person, spiritual and physical. He is concerned about his whole person. There is more to this world than just the physical things that we can see and know about ourselves. Today we label almost all physical and mental uh, maladies or difficult things as being purely physical in nature. If there's a problem with the body or the brain, then there's a solution in the form of medicine or therapy or something else. But again, the Bible teaches us there is more to our sicknesses and shortcomings and sin than our own bodies or our own responsibility. Our addictions, our alcoholism, our pride, our rage, our anger are not just things that we can blame ourselves for. They are exacerbated. They are fanned into flame by spiritual forces. 
And I've said this before, but I often wonder if we've gone so far to the side of the spectrum that says everything is physical, there's a physical explanation for our suffering, and we rarely go to God with our problems, even our physical, plainly physical problems. We call the doctor, we assess their diagnosis, and then we pray for God's healing. But are we also considering the spiritual dynamics at play? I was reading a story from Christianity Today about a lawyer, uh, a family man, and he was describing his struggles with sin and addiction. And he says how they are often born out of a place of hardship. A lot of the things we struggle with, he says, are born, they, they begin when we are in a place of weakness or suffering or vulnerability. He said this, he said, addiction is often birthed from pain. For me, he says, overdrinking turned into full-fledged dependence when my fourth son was admitted to Arkansas Children's Hospital. He was failing to thrive, and I'd prayed for his healing without result. When his sickness seemed the direst, I gave up on both God and prayer. In the pain of that moment, I wanted to feel no more, and I reached for the bottle of gin. He continues on. This is the last part I wanted to read. He said, Crisis exposes pain points that have long been ignored. Humans go to great lengths to avoid pain, and the anesthetics of our day, alcohol, prescription pills, pornography, materialism, entertainment, they are readily available and quite effective. It is, is it any wonder, he says and asks, that good and well-meaning Christians succumb to addiction in seasons of pain? After all, Christians are humans too. We know, and there's a lot of research out there about the roots of our different addictions and, and issues that happen in our bodies and our minds, but we know if we believe Scripture and we believe what God has given us, that there is more to the story than just that. The temptations we encounter in this world aren't merely coincidence. There's a spiritual opposition. Jesus understood the different forces at work. He wasn't just focused on healing physical things physical problems with people. He was focused on the spiritual nature of the world. The man in our passage has been oppressed by unclean spirits for a lengthy amount of time. He resided in the tombs in a Gentile area. And at one time he was restrained by shackles, but he couldn't be any longer. So they had tried different things to restrain this man, but nothing worked. It seems that he was given strength by these demons. Night and day he was crying out, cutting himself, and generally being a terror. You can know for sure that the people who lived in that region knew not to go near the tombs. And so what happens when someone like Jesus goes into that region? What happens when someone like this man sees Jesus? Our passage says he runs at Jesus. If we just stop there, can you imagine if you're one of Jesus' disciples or you, you like Jesus and you're walking with him, following him, 
You're like, Jesus, we probably shouldn't go to the tombs or near the tombs. And then when you do, you see the man who the whole town has talked about running after Jesus. I can imagine that would be rather scary. I would be concerned. Uh, But what happens is that he runs to Jesus and he bows down in a posture of worship. He begs for mercy at Jesus' feet. He asks him, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? One commentator said this was a common Gentile way of describing the, the greatest God of all gods. So if you believed in many lowercase g gods and idols and things like that, if you were to say Most High God, you were referring to the greatest of them all. The unclean spirits were begging this Jesus to send them into the pigs. There were thousands of them, our passage says. A Roman legion was thousands of soldiers. And they enter the pigs at Jesus' permission. And the pigs then run down the hill and are drowned. This is a huge economic loss to the pig herdsmen, to the town perhaps, but there is no comment on that. It is a weird detail to put into this story. Uh, Roger and I just talked about that before this passage. They, they studied this passage in Sunday school. And all the commentators I read, you know, pastors I listened to in sermons, they have all said, we don't know really what is going on here or what the point of this detail is. So I'm not going to try to come up with something new. What we know, though, is that the economic loss, the economic loss of these pigs had no comparable value to this man who was restored. Read with me in verse 14, if you would like to. Verse 14 says this, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. The news that the herdsmen were spreading in town was probably not good news. It was not the gospel. They were terrified. They had just lost thousands of their pigs. They had just lost a lot of money. The people were filled with a great fear. It's similar to the story that comes before this in Mark. On the lake with the storm, the great windstorm that arises, and the great or mega peace that Jesus brings in the midst of it. The people were filled with a great fear at the end of that story, not of the storm, but of Jesus. And again, we see that happening here. They're not afraid of the demon-possessed man. They're afraid of Jesus. Jesus had just restored this man to his right mind, and they had just lost a fortune. This man was given up as hopeless by the people around him. He was perhaps considered a lost cause. And yet, Jesus 
comes to him, restores him, redeems him, and the people around him are afraid of Jesus. There was no comparison, again, of what was lost to what was gained. For some reason, this made me think of the idea that when we think of that story of the shepherd going off after the one lost sheep among the 99, he leaves the 99, goes and rescues the lost sheep. I love that story. I love how it shows us God's love. But I think we might be more like the shepherds or the herdsmen and the people of the town. We might be more like them than we want to believe. Because when, some, when it's someone we don't like and the shepherd goes after them, restores them, saves them, and leaves us, the 99, behind, it ruins our day. We get upset because there's a 99 people who are just going about their day and want it to continue as normal, but it's being ruined because of one person. Maybe that's what's going on in the mind of these herdsmen. Maybe not. Jesus' presence, his healing, they are powerful, and it is terrifying. Jesus is terrifying in his redeeming love and his power. People don't know what to do with Jesus, especially here. This leads us to, this, to our spiritual opposition. What does this story have to do about us? How does it, what does it teach us about our own spiritual opposition? As we have said, Scripture teaches that there are spiritual forces at work in the world. That's kind of a baseline truth that we, if you are a member of this church, you would believe that. But we often don't dwell on that. Jesus is at the front lines of God's kingdom expansion. And at the front lines, as one pastor said, you often confront the enemy on the front lines of a war. Jesus' experience with unclean spirits, with those who are possessed by demons, is unique to him and the apostles in their frequency, but not in their experience. Where God is at work, there will be spiritual opposition. There will be spiritual opposition, even in our own lives. I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul says that new believers, when you are a new believer in Christ, you are at risk of becoming prideful, big-headed, and falling into the condemnation of the devil. Elsewhere, he describes his thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan. The devil and his spiritual forces are at work in the world against all of humanity, and especially God's people. If pride can lead us into the condemnation of the devil, then there are people, many people, living under the condemnation of the devil rather than the peace of Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ by faith. And so we see across Scripture that the demonic world those forces that are opposed to God by every fiber of their being will provide the kindling to our own sinful desires and even introduce outside temptations. We know that the Holy Spirit is at war with our sin 
with the devil, with our own flesh. That is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if a legion of demons cowers before Jesus and is defeated by a word, how great of a comfort is it to be united to Jesus by faith? To be in this world without Jesus is a terrifying thought. Jesus desires to be Lord over our life. Jesus desires to bring peace and security to redeem you from oppression and restore you to a right mind. Jesus wants to bring his peace. So we learn about our Lord and Redeemer. The last point, our Lord and Redeemer. In verse 19, you can read and follow with me if you'd like. Verse 19 says, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The man possessed by demons is delivered and in his right mind, and he begs to go with Jesus. But Jesus says, go and tell your family and your friends how much the Lord has done for you. And then do you see the change in words? When the man goes and tells how much the Lord has done for him, he says, how much Jesus has done for him. Mark is so good at doing this subtle revealing of the person of Jesus. Jesus as the Son of God, as God in the flesh. Go and tell everyone how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And then he says, Jesus has done this. Jesus has rescued this man from demonic possession, restored him by a word. And this is just a shadow of what Jesus would do on the cross, what he was intending to do in the near future. Jesus would soon enter the tombs again, and he would not be restrained by death itself. He would allow himself to be bound by nails on a cross he would willingly submit himself to be stripped and to be ridiculed day and night, to be cast out by society. He would give up his life to ransom, to rescue, to redeem a sinful and oppressed people. The power at work in Jesus in this story is at work in everyone who trusts in him by faith. You struggle with sin just as I do. You struggle with habitual sins just as I do. And we are tempted and enticed to sin every day. There are spiritual forces at work against us, prodding us, encouraging us. And only in Jesus is there power to overcome sin that weighs so heavily on us. Only in Jesus is there true peace in the midst of our spiritual and physical enemies. And only in Jesus is there power to fight against the spiritual forces at work in our world that prey on our weaknesses, that attack during our times of vulnerability and suffering. Only in Jesus can we be restored both spiritually and physically as a whole person 
Only in Jesus would he use doctors who are gifted with talents and abilities from him to treat our wounds, with friends and church members to walk with us and encourage us with his word and his spirit. So Christian, when temptations grow, when the devil is at work, enticing you, enticing me, luring us, Jesus will be with you. Jesus is walking with you. He will rescue you in times of need. He will restore you. He will guard you and equip you with that old passage we know, the armor of God. He will cause you to persevere by his spirit. That's his promise. And our passage says, when you have stories, when you experience how much God has done for you, the mercy he has had in you, had for you in Christ, go and tell your friends and your family how much God has done for you. Maybe you're struggling today with different kinds of addiction, habitual sins, or you're in a season of great suffering and it's hard just to get out of bed. Come to Jesus because he is coming towards you. He will help you. And when he helps you, Go and tell your friends, your neighbors, your family, just how much Jesus has done for you and is doing for you. I want to end in prayer, and I'm going to pray that famous passage about the armor of God. It's one we know well, one we often learn in vacation Bible school when we're children, but when we consider the spiritual dynamics of our life, that are at work in our world, uh, it brings fresh significance. It brings a fresh reminder to us of God's help for us. So let's pray together now. God, we thank you for your word. We pray most of all, we pray this passage, help us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Help us to Put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, help us to take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Help us to stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for our feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, help us to take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and help us to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, help us keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Lord, do these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand and sing in response to God's grace and his work in our lives with hymn number 307, and we will sing verses 
1, 3, and 5 of hymn 307. Let's stand and sing. Receive God's blessing as you go this afternoon. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.